To whom much has been given, much will be required. It's one of those phrases that's come to be known far beyond its context in Scripture and even, I would say, far beyond the walls of the church. There are others alongside it, of course. The psalmist's image of walking through the valley of the shadow of death, Isaiah's vision of swords being turned into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks, the fool's advice to eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. To whom much has been given, much will be required. If this were a Bible study or a conversation, and if I were to ask you to tell me where that line comes from, I'd bet that most of you would tell me that it comes from Jesus' parable of the talents. The story of a rich man who goes away and entrusts three of his servants with great sums of money. That's what talents originally were, after all. Amounts of money, not skills and abilities. And then when he comes again, the rich man judges them on how they have used those funds. In full disclosure, if somebody asked me where this line came from, that probably would have been my guess as well. And yet, while these are the words of Jesus, they do not come from that passage. This promise, to whom much has been given, much will be required, isn't one about money, but is instead about that other great resource in life, time. Jesus, in these words, is talking about how people use time, well or badly, wisely or not, eating, drinking, and being merry, or doing things that glorify God and edify themselves. This question of time, of how we use the time that has been given to us, how we live our lives, how we spend our days, is one that pervades the entirety of Scripture. Scripture is always and everywhere on a timeline. Not just a human one, either. The Three score and ten years that the psalmist says are given to us as the span of our lives. No. Scripture is on a timeline that is God's, that begins with God. Creation in Genesis, redemption in Exodus, Israel's week always beginning in the Sabbath rest but also a timeline that ends with God, ends in God's kingdom, ends on God's terms. In our Old Testament lesson this evening, the prophet Joel gives us a glimpse of that ending. Blow the trumpet in Zion. 
Sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let all of the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. A day of darkness and gloom, the prophet writes. A day of clouds and thick darkness like blackness spread across the mountains. A great and powerful army comes. The earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord utters his voice at the head of his army. How vast is his host! They are numberless. If you weren't familiar with this passage before this evening, then hearing it for the first time might come to you as a shock. This is Zion, after all, Jerusalem. These are God's children. Why is their Lord's coming to be feared? Why a day of darkness and not light, a day of trembling instead of peace? Truly the day of the Lord is great, terrible indeed, the prophet writes. But shouldn't it be a day of celebration, a time perhaps to eat, to drink, or to be merry? And yet that is not the picture that Joel paints. Who can endure this, he asks. And then in the rest of the passage that Britt read for us, he pivots and he calls his people to a posture of penitence. He calls them to turn back to their Lord, to return to the life that was laid out for them in the beginning. A life in which they loved their Lord with heart, soul, mind, and strength. A life in which they loved their neighbors as themselves. Return with all your heart, he says. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Joel knows, you see. He knows that in this life to whom much has been given, much will be required. And he knows that no one could have possibly been given more than God's people. Called, sanctified, redeemed, set apart for a blessing, and therefore, if that is the case, then Joel also knows that there's no one who could possibly have have more be expected of them. A people set apart not just for a blessing, but in order to be a blessing in the lives of their neighbors, called to do justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly all the days of their lives. Joel sees this, and he needs the rest of his people to see it as well. 
My friends, today is Ash Wednesday, the first day of the season of Lent. And on this day, you and I find ourselves living within the same tension as Joel's original readers. We have been called, set aside, blessed, and yet at the same time, we have failed to live fully into that blessing. As Paul writes in the other text that we read this evening from 2 Corinthians, we have been entrusted with the message of the world's reconciliation in Christ, set aside for the ministry of reconciliation itself. And yet we too need to be reconciled we too, just like Paul's first readers, run the risk of having accepted the grace of God in vain. And we know this. I'm not going to belabor this point because we know it deep down in places that we don't like to talk about at dinner parties, as a man once said. We know. So the question before us this evening isn't whether, like the Corinthians, we need to be reconciled or whether, like the Israelites, we need to return to our Lord instead. Instead, the question that is before us is whether or not we can find the courage to acknowledge those places in our lives and seek to amend them. And that is Lent. Forty days as we walk with Jesus towards the cross. Forty days of self-examination, honest self-examination of those places where we take God's grace for granted and where needs be forty days of repentance. Forty days to live into the lives that have been offered to us in Christ, not so that we can avoid some concept of divine wrath, but instead so that we can better understand the blessedness of being called, redeemed, and sent out into this world. Sent into this world as a people of good news amongst a whole bunch of other people who desperately, desperately need it. To whom much has been given, much will be required, our Lord once said. Forty days to reflect on that reality on how you and I have been blessed and on how we have been called to bless our neighbors all of the days of our lives. And then, on the other side of those 40 days, grace. 